Hey everyone, it's Ryan with Security Hall Podcast. I'm conducting an interview today on Denny Caballero, founder of Security Hall Podcast. Uh, this is for a college paper that I'm writing on uh, how Denny reaches his viewers through multimodal media. That's like, thank you for having me yeah. on. Yeah, it's harder than it looks. <laughs> You're pretty good at it. So. <laughs> Thanks for uh, giving me free reign uh, to your soundboard. Oh, that was wildly inappropriate. What a fox. Okay, okay whatever. It's, it's college. Sweet, salty socks. There you go. <laughs> the finest soundboard for the finest college education. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, and I just wanted to uh, conduct this interview, like I said, uh, because you do, uh, you run a podcast, you have a blog, you manage your social media accounts. Um, and so, you know, uh, I just wanted to focus on um, your communication style because it is pretty effective. And, uh, you know, one of one of the challenges that, that you face is is reaching people that have a wall, a big wall built oh, yeah. up. And that's that's got to be uh, tricky. So uh, we'll dive into it um, and let's uh, let's get going and firing off these questions. So let's uh, do it. Yeah, question number one. What was the name of your high school mascot? Oh, my goodness. Um, we were the Windsor Wizards. Okay. And what's your mother's made, your wife's mother's maiden name? Rogelia. Wait a second. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Okay. But like, for real. Uh, the name of your favorite childhood pet? <laughs> Is this too personal? <laughs> this, is, this is oddly specific <laughs> to what I have on my Wells Fargo. Just give, Thank you. <laughs> just give me your social security number. Now that can wrap things up here. That is an easy uh, request. <laughs> 258 39 <laughs> I think that's too many numbers, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Uh, no, but for um, so so, where are you from? Where where were you? Were you born? Well, what was uh, childhood like? Oh man, this is, uh, I'm gonna try to keep it brief. Yeah, sure. But it's a long story. You see, it all began in the summer of 1984 when I was born in the beautiful country of Panama, mm -hmm. in the capital city of Panama City. Um, born to two Panamanian kids trying to make it right. Oh boy! <laughs> and it quickly went south. So then I found myself the, uh, the the second attachment point to my single mother's life. Oh no! <laughs> but it was good. Pa uh, life in Panama was good. I had a huge family, um, very loving. Uh, my mom, not the best mother, but I had aunts and uncles and grandparents who uh, were were really great and key to like my my small and enjoyable life in the in the Panama City. Um after the invasion of Panama in nineteen ninety nineteen ninety? Um immigrated to the United States when my mom married a US service member. And that was a, a horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. It was just the worst. Um everybody has the idea that when you move to the United States, life is like going to be perfect like wherever you're from the united states is better and that is not the truth <laughs> did your parents meet during the invasion oh yeah my my no way yeah, my my biological mother and i wouldn't call him my my 
my parent. Like he was the, right. yeah, the, yeah. the step dude that did a lot of horrible shit. But, um, unbeknownst to us, uh, he was still married in the States and was like, well, I've heard all these good things about these Panamanian women. I'm just going to scoop one up, bring it with me. And he did. <laughs> we unfortunately tagged along and, uh, life, like I said, our life in Panama was, um, fantastic. We had our own home, had a large family, which is like, you know, stereotypical Hispanics, large families. I know, but we had a great support system. We had a great life. Um, as a child, I look back that time period and I realized how grateful I was those few years of having like that really loving extended family. Because when we moved to the United States, we moved into like extreme poverty, like extreme, extreme, like poor, poor, yeah, <laughs> like trailer eating, uh, open hand open hand bread sandwiches like right. it was a so you had you had something to look back on oh and yeah. say hey things don't have to be this way exactly and and i was very it was very sobering like as even as a young kid i realized like holy shit america huh this place sucks yeah <laughs> not a good first impression <laughs> no uh, no <laughs> experiences may vary <laughs> But damn it, we persevered. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, like I said, it was um, a very shocking, very jarring life moving to the United States with somebody that was by far not the greatest person. So we'll fast forward a couple of years and some trauma and move into my high school years sure. where we moved into Colorado. And that's truly uh, the state that I call home. Um, things got considerably better for us in Colorado. Still dealing with a lot of horrible stuff because, I mean, it's you know, by no means the, the dream childhood you could ever want. Right. But uh, for the most part, myself and my sisters, we stuck together. Just a band of uh, little Panamanians trying to make it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I remember we shared a tornado one time, I think. Yes, yeah. yes, we did. Um, yeah. So like fast track um, years later, I'm active duty and I'm coming back home to visit my sister. And this was like in 2010, 2011? Mm, sounds, no, it was before that. It was 2008. 2008, 2009? I think so. Probably around there. Yeah. Right. But there was a massive tornado that came through and ripped through the Windsor, Fort Collins yeah. area. And I was in my hotel, unbeknownst to what was going on. And this thing was just like ravaging Windsor and Fort Collins. Yeah. And I remember coming out of the shower and like having all these missed calls and like my sister's panicking. You know, she's an adult, already has like, um, her son Marquez and um, uh, remarried, and she's freaking out. She's like, a tornado's going through here. And I just remember jumping into my uh, rental car and just driving into Windsor, Colorado, and seeing the destruction. Like, it was insane. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing it. And it's, yeah, yeah, it, it was nuts. Yeah, I was, I was holed up in my uh, middle school, I think, or junior high school. Holy shit, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, crazy to think that, yeah. um, in 2008, like yeah. we were, you know, less than 10 miles from yeah. each other and we didn't meet until no. um, we were in a combat environment. Yeah. Because if we would have met, that would have been probably really illegal. Yeah. But what's a grown adult doing? Right. Talking to a kid. Yeah. And there's like time traveler rules that I'm not allowed to uh, break <laughs> as a time traveler. So <laughs> drive through the front entrance to your your middle school where's ryan where's david he also goes by doom uh, but let's let's back up a little yeah, bit yeah. so um so when did you join the united states army so i had the privilege of joining while i was still in high school so that i could support myself 
through high school. I had left home, uh, like I said, very chaotic environment. So the easiest way for me to get out on my own was to join the National Guard because yeah, okay. they'll pay me yeah. for weekend drills. So I went in while I was still in high school. Did you like go over summer or something like that? No, it was, um, I did my entire senior year and then I shipped off to um, basic. Okay. Uh, so you did summer. drills and stuff while yeah. you were in high school? Which oh, okay. was like, dude, that's easy too. That's bucks. pretty cool and grounding. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. my biggest thing was finding out ways to buy groceries and pay for rent. And that, that helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the National Guard. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, for just a minute of your time. You can get groceries. <laughs> and it was a way to like, I told myself that, um, you know, I grew up being told that I would never amount to anything. You're not going to get an education. And that the only way I could provide for myself was like just being a beast of burden and working like manual labor jobs, which is like the worst thing you could tell to a child. So I told myself I can do the guard. I'll pay for college. And I'll have like all the things that make me a successful person. You know, I'll have discipline and all that. Um, and it turns out that, I was really driven and I wanted to work full time, go to college and be a part of the guard. And what I found myself doing was working like insane hours in insane jobs, making ends meet, saving money for college, trying to go to college full time. And I wasn't getting anywhere. Like I wasn't enjoying life. Like I remember getting activated for um, Hurricane Katrina and just realizing like, is this all I'm going to be used for? Like just to be used to clean up and take care of the worst human crisis our nation's ever faced with no support, nobody really taking care of us and then barely make ends meet and then try and go to college. Yeah. Um, and shortly after that, I was like, you know, I, I would rather go full-time active duty. Like this, this makes more sense. I'm, I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy the military and nothing about civilian life was worth it to me. It wasn't paying off. Like everything was just a bunch of fleeting fun, getting drunk, partying. I'm like, and then at the end of the day, these kids are going back to like a house that's rented by their parents or a freaking apartment that's paid for. And I'm driving a, driving a broke down Dodge Stratus that won't go in reverse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a lot like, to work those jobs to do drills and getting activated for even like if you took away getting activated for you know something like hurricane katrina like that's a lot for someone to take on and try to do school oh yeah yeah and in my myself right now like obviously i'm I'm going through college and i'm in the middle of a move and it's in out processing from the military and and that's challenging yeah just as it is and i'm not even having to like be somewhere for a specified time you know every day so um hats off to you for, for even, you know, attempting that, but then, um, deciding, you know, maybe active duty is the way. Yeah. It was incredibly hard. And you have to factor in that you don't have really any family at the time. You've got close friends that you meet in the military. You've got close support systems from friends, but as far as like a father a mother, even hell, even a mentor, I struggled for a long time because you don't have that mentor or support system to give you guidance, clear cut guidance, um, how to form your life. And it, I just remember being very lost, felt yeah. very lost. And I felt like at least if I put a goal, somehow just put a goal in front of me, at least that can help. Yeah. Yeah. And the military is just this complete, like, you know, there's doctrination and you're, and you're basically just reshaping everything in your life to just fit this, fit this mold with these other people that are 
that are fitting that mold. And like, kind of like if you had problems in your civilian life, like it puts that distance, you know, between that a little bit, at least yeah. in my experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, so a lot of people, that's what attracts them to the military in the first place. So. Yeah. So you, you, you know, left the, uh, national guard, went active duty. Uh, what did you, what did you start out as? In the, so I uh, went, I, yeah. Once I figured out that the process was as simple as just in, in paper, it's a very simple process transitioning into, um, active duty. Uh, but in reality, it, it took a little bit, a couple months, because you have to find somebody that's willing to do the paperwork for you as, as far as recruiting goes. But uh, the easiest thing for me to do was go to MAPS and just say, hey, I just want infantry, open contract infantry if I can get uh, airborne, awesome. If not, I, I just want infantry. I wanted something because I realized I, I just wanted to be part of this world that was happening overseas and the, the larger conflict right, that was occurring. I wasn't making an impact on that. Uh, when you're young, when you're looking for guidance and you're very impressionable, we always think, especially during the time of war, we think that the measure of a man, the way to find who you are and to prove your mettle is to go to combat. Yeah. That's, that's what you see in largely uh, pretty much all of our Western uh, stories. Like, to be a man, you have to prove yourself through combat, yeah. through enduring this hardship. And I said, fuck it, I have nothing. I literally have nothing and no guidance nothing of myself like i want to find who i am and i didn't want to do that with a convention nothing against a non-combat mos i just what my impression was i wasn't going to find it anywhere else uh and of course maps they're always trying to push you the latest and greatest contract to meet their quotas and they told me uh you know we we only have slots available for um you know um missile support and missile ears and stuff like that. And I just said, no, I'm not doing it. So at that time I was a little older. I understood that you could just say no at maps. Right. All it is going to cost you is a tank of gas to get back. Right. Friggin and you didn't want to settle. No, I didn't. Yeah. And I remember sitting outside maps, um, waiting for a ride. Cause by that point, like my car had totally like shit the bed. So I wasn't even able to like drive down there. And I'm just like, is this worth it? And is this what I really want to fucking do? Like, and I decided in that moment, like, yeah, I am going to sit out here on these steps and continue to come back to this fucking in processing station. And I'm going to wait until I have infantry and had to do one more time. And they did. And I remember the frustration in the guy's face. He's just like, whatever, here you go. Hope you enjoy it. Like, you know, you waited, you, you waited me out. Right. So I get infantry and go through that. And there's no, uh, I don't have anything besides, I don't have airborne. I just infantry needs the army. So I, originally I'm slotted to go, to Fort Hood, which I know for a fact would end in my career very shortly. I would not have like nothing about Texas was attractive to me. All I knew was I remember sitting in the dining facility one day watching the news and it said the entire 82nd division is facing deployment for the surge. And I remember when I reclassed, I was with a, with a, a group of about five other individuals, all NCOs that were reclassing from their MOS to go to combat arms, MOS to infantry. Or go into the uh, 18 X-ray pipeline, go SF. And I remember all of us saying, "Fuck yeah, this is this is it. Like this is the place I need to go." And we, you're older, you see there's a demand. They're clearly launching the entire division into Iraq. I just said, "Fuck it, like I gotta attach myself. I gotta figure out a way to get there." Yeah. And so that became my 
my nearest target was to get somehow get one of these drill sergeants to get me a slot in the airborne school. And I brought it up to one of the senior drill sergeants and they're like, you know what? Yeah. After graduation, stick by me. We'll get you over to airborne hold. And I wish I could remember the individual's name. Uh, guy had a lasting impact because he didn't owe me anything. He didn't owe me a damn thing. Um, he just saw a kid. Uh, I was a young NCO. I was E5. And I just wanted to go in the theater. And I wanted to experience that. And I wanted to see if that was the thing that I was missing out on. And sure shit. Graduated. And he gets me there. And uh, he's like, hey, if um, if you don't have anybody to pin your airborne wings on graduation day, I'll be here. It's like, all right. I'll be here. I'm going to make it through this shit. And you don't have any bearing. You don't really understand like how hard it is. You just hear airborne school is like the hardest thing ever. Right. And there's, you know, it's grueling, it's running. But I realized that was one of the first things I realized once I was going through there. I was like, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. I was waiting for it to get harder to the point where I couldn't do it. But I never did. Like it didn't get to that point. I was like, huh, like this was supposed to be like this hyped up thing that everybody like, like it's very elite. And I got through it. I, I remember getting into jump week. I was like, it's just not being scared or, and just continue to walk out that door. I was like, huh, I wonder what else is like that. Sure. Shit. Graduation comes and uh, the drill sergeant was there and I didn't have anybody. He walks up and pins me and shakes my hand and gives me blood wings, which is like controversial. Now you can't do that. Right. It's just, it's hazing. It's hazing. Yeah. But I remember in that moment, like, even though I didn't have a father, I didn't have a mother there didn't have any individual, uh, there was a moment of camaraderie and a moment of understanding from that, that NCO to a young NCO, like, I'm proud of you. Good job. And that stuck with me. And that was a, that was like a, a key. And then he, <laughs> and then he physically harmed you. <laughs> like a true father figure. Should. As every father figure should. <laughs> and it was like a key moment was, was unlocked. It's like, Oh, wow. If I give everything I have in this organization, people will notice it and I'll have the validation of having someone finally show me like that, that sort of respect and kindness and like admiration I've been looking for. So that was like full set, whatever I got to do to stay in this career field to fucking keep being able to feel like I'm worthy. It's huge for validation. It's huge. Especially Especially when you're trying to get into theater and you're like, yeah, like I got to see what I'm made of. Like that's a little confidence boost when you're you're completing schools and you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm a little harder than I thought I was. Um, It gives you the confidence going into it. But I I feel like that. And we talked about like, you know, like people that aren't combat MOS is like mostly there really isn't a difference at the MEP store between me and you and non-combat MOS people because I feel like everyone's joining yeah. for the most part because a part of them wants to test themselves. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, and then, you know, you go into, you know, you went down your path because you're like, Hey, I'm not going to settle. I'm going to, I'm going to go in the infantry. Like this is the job I want. I did the same thing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to settle. I wasn't going to sign an open contract. A lot of people do. Yeah. And a lot of people sign that open contract and get stuck in, in fuels or like in, and you know, working on radars or whatever yeah cyberspace like all kinds of stuff nowadays and it's great careers um and there's and no one's knocking that at all um but i f- i feel like uh obviously the combat 
experience is traumatic, but taking that validation away from people when they expect to have that experience yep. and then they end up fueling up helicopters when they really wanted to be, you know, kicking down doors as a green beret or something. That's, that's the mental health struggle in the military. Yes, it is. And then you take that person, you put them in a base far away from home where they don't have a support network and they're just like full of disappointment. That's hard. Yeah. So, and every day is a kick to the teeth and a kick to the gut when you see guys and gals going out and doing the fight, doing the fighting, getting engaged, and you come back and you get treated like a second class citizen. Because you're not right. And it, it sucks. Like I'd look back on how we, you know, the, the term pogue person other than grunt and, and you're like, I'm a fucking infantryman. You're a fucking pogue. And those dudes can get shit on entirely, but nothing, nothing that you do can actually happen. Yeah. If these people that are dedicated to their job, don't do their job. Like, and that, and as a young kid, like you don't realize that. And then, you know, if you're lucky, you have enough development and you realize the errors in your way and you're still in and you're able to correct that deficiency within others and you're able to call that out. Be like, hey, man, look, like that dude works his ass off so that you can do your fucking mission. Exactly. There's, and, and I wish people had that insight because if you look at what's going on in the world today, a lot of people are dying because yeah. logistics chains are failing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, three or four weeks ago, you had a 40 mile long convoy yeah. that was halted Russian troops, armor, yeah. you know, fuels could fuel. Couldn't get to the vehicles. Ammo couldn't get to the vehicles. They're trying to take, you know, the capital city in Ukraine and they can't do it. And they're getting stranded. They're, they're abandoning their vehicles. Yeah. They're sabotaging their own vehicles. And it's because Russia operates with 75% less logistics troops than countries like the united states oh. like they don't have that that logistics train that we do and and the end result is like they were dying or being captured by their enemy um because they didn't have pokes yeah they didn't have enough pokes yeah so next time if you're if you know any of you know the students fellow classmates i know some of you are active duty if, if you know you're, you're a combat guy next time you see you know someone that that classifies as support or doesn't have a combat job. Just look at them and thank them. Thank them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and here's the reality of it. The best, the best green berets that I've worked with um, by far, hands down the best are guys that came from a, what's considered soft MOS like supply. And they bring that skill yeah. with them to the team. Um, we can make you a sniper. We can make you a badass free fall God. We can't make you a logistics expert. You bring that to the team. You enhance that capability. That's phenomenal. We have guys that were prior construction MOSs, and they come back and they have more skills, more information, more knowledge than the construction and the engineer sergeant on the team that that's senior to them. Right? Like that's that's they're a reality. They're a multi-tool. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, you can sharpen a sword, but it can only be one thing. Yeah. So stab people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't actually have to do. There were, there were some things, some expectations I had as a child wanting to grow up to be a soldier. Um, some fears out there. 
quicksand wasn't that big of a deal uh, in adulthood. Lava, and um, you didn't have to stab anyone. Yeah, you know, so. I always thought that I was going to be dealing with more skunks too. Um, yeah, not a thing. Nope. No, <laughs> skunks. <laughs> Dynamite doesn't come in a giant box called DNT. No, you can't buy it at the hardware store anymore. <laughs> Why did I think anvils were a threat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I digress. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I made it through airborne school, uh, got contract to get my ass directly to 82nd as soon as possible. Um, and finagled my way to two five Oh four with, uh, the rest of my buddies that had gone and reclassed. And within a month we were in Iraq and yeah, it, after that I came back to, and, and that's when tours were 15 months right. to a year long. Yeah. Like you, you missed out on life, like, and then come back and then go into an intensive training cycle to do it again. Right. Um, but there was all these little key things that happened. So like I got married to my first wife, uh, and then we deployed <laughs> for 15 months <laughs> and then, and then came back <laughs> And then I said, you know what? For like 12 months. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> but I'm going to go to selection. Right. So like, in no time did I ever like have time to reflect, to think back, to make real conscious decisions about my life. Even, even though I got married, I, it was not, it wasn't even like this well thought out plan. It was a courtroom thing to somebody that I, I was friends with that I, I actually really did love, but we didn't really have like the ability to grow and adapt as a couple. We were just like, I don't want to live in the barracks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's pretty popular too. Yeah. For, for those of you that don't know, military culture is, uh, you know, the first thing you do when you get into the military, you get to your duty station and you're getting your paychecks is you get um, a, a vehicle that you can't afford at the highest APR possible. <laughs> the highest. Then you realize you don't have any money because you're spending it all in your car. And for some reason you get another idea saying I can get more money if, if I, I get married, married. <laughs> which is also not true. So, but uh, luckily we did have a, a relationship. We did have, we were, like I said, we were good friends. We met when we first both arrived at 82nd and she genuinely was a good person. But when you get married young and you add combat and you add stress, it's not a good um, recipe for, or, or it's not even conducive to like a healthy uh, environment, healthy relationship. And we came, like I said, I came back from that second deployment and I was like, wow, like going to combat with people that aren't prepared and people that actually won't do their job is not a fun thing. Like that second trip was considerably worse. I had a PL and a platoon starting to both froze in combat. Uh, and and consistent failures at upper leadership. And I said to myself, well, I don't see that happening in SF. So I'm going to go do that. And I left. And as soon as I got selected, came back. A lot of guys usually take a little bit of time. And they, then they out process and go into the call the Q course. Um, I did not. As soon as I had my orders, I left and went straight into the Q course which was of course detrimental to my marriage, but we continued on that trend of like trying to make it work, making it work. And, but it's chaotic. It's an entire year and some change of training and you have no time to devote yourself to your family. Right. So, so was it a combination of a failure of leadership and incompetence mixed with, you know, that drive that you had as you were completing schools 
and getting oh, yeah. that validation and doing a combat deployment to combat deployments, more validation, yeah. um, just kind of pushing yourself oh, yeah. more. No, I, I, I remember I met my platoon sergeant for the first time in what's the name of that base? Alasar. Alasad. Alasad. Yeah. Yeah. And um I remember sitting down with with uh Sergeant Mac. He's like, hey, so who are you? What you want to do? I told him like straight up, man, this is who I am. I'm here to learn. I'm here to be a fucking sponge. Learn how to be a good infantryman. But I literally want to go as far as I can in this career, and I eventually want to go to selection. And I did. Like I kept my word to him. Uh and it was easy because the 82nd didn't put any fucking value in its people. Absolutely fucking none. Um I I I grew up understanding that and it was, you know, it's flawed thinking. I know it's different. I know now that this is not the truth, but I, I came up in a very abusive environment where you did everything to the T or else you suffered. And when you get in the military, it's like abide the rules, follow the rules and you will achieve success. And when I got in the 82nd, I realized that it was very, very different. It's also who, you know, are you well liked? This person's going to get promoted before you because this fucking dude likes him, and he's going to put him in in the ability to achieve more. Right? And I absolutely hated that. I bucked. I hated that system. Yeah. And the buck can stop with your immediate supervisor. You know, if that if that person's not willing to advocate for you because they don't like you, exactly, they can shut you down. So all of your dreams can go out the window. Another reason why mental health is such an yeah. insane thing in the military. I was. That was one of the things that was very detrimental to me as a as a young guy in the infantry. I saw the performance measures. I saw what I had to do, and I fucking did everything. I fought and fought and fought to do everything right, and then the opportunity to gain rank, to achieve more, was never. It never materialized, and I saw. I understood that at that moment. Like you don't value me as an individual or as a soldier, no matter what I do, no matter what I achieve for you. I'm never going to be good enough for you. And it was almost like that spite, like, fuck you, watch what I do. Yeah. And it's not a healthy mindset. That's no. not, that's not how you achieve things in life. Or at least how you're supposed to. I know that now as a, you know, the advantages of being a wise older person, you shouldn't let that be the fuel. Anger and spite should never be the thing. But as a young kid who still had so much to prove, that's what I used. I kept that mental image of that entire chain of command that didn't value me, that quit during combat, the ones that froze during a fucking sniper attack. I kept that with me and fueled all the individuals that would talk so much shit, but then never amounted to anything. I kept them. I kept them in the back of my head and I kept that fuel. And of course, there's always a doubt too, because I remember going through every aspect of the Q course from selection to even the day of graduation. I was like, well, at some point I'm going to be found out at some point. Like there's no fucking way I, I, I could have made it this far. Right. The imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, I, I just remember getting to the very end and I wasn't even able to enjoy 72 hours, not even 72 hours. I remember I have great photos of dear friends celebrating that, fucking achievement but i still remember within 72 hours i was back to being miserable 
because I, I, my self worth wasn't anchored to just my being. Right. It it wasn't just like, I am good enough for me. No, it was someone else. Exactly. I'm still trying to figure out what and how to fill that void inside Danny. Um, no pun intended, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, um, I went straight here to seventh group and, uh, still with a, with a very touch and go marriage. Um, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of devotion, but there's a lot of fucking hurt, a lot of pain. And a lot of the issues are coming from me because I have so much shit that I'm not actually unpacking or taking time to, um, actually like go get help for. There's so much going on inside your head that you assume that other people just understand that you have a lot of shit going on in your head. Well, my thing was, Everybody has this traumatic life. Right. I'm okay. Like, why am I like, there's nothing wrong. I, everybody has to struggle. Everybody mm-hmm. goes through this, but then I wasn't acknowledging anxiety, depression. Never, those things did not exist to me. It was just the way I operated. Right. Yeah. Like, and only so you, you didn't have this, like, like, uh, not like a, like a, like you didn't feel like a victim yet. No, like no. you were just thought no. this is, this is normal. Life. This is life. Yeah. This, I, I literally, I understood anger happiness and like the makeup love when you have a cataclysmic event and you're like oh yeah you really love so it was just a lot of anger i was dealing with a lot of rage just breaking so much every every time something didn't go right like i would take it out physically on my environment my home and i just remember um when we left we finally bought a home in niceville i remember leaving my rental home and before we left my my wife at the time had to get all the cabinet doors replaced. Like, and that was like, that was one of a few incidents where I was like, fuck. I remember I was in such a rage one night that I just flexed and just was throwing and breaking shit in the garage. And I remember just, just that angry, tense flexion, like of your neck. I put myself in the emergency room in the hospital. For the entire night because I fucking pulled all the muscles in Jeez. my neck. Um, and even that didn't clue me in because I had just gotten the group and things were not as perfect and as amazing as I thought it'd be. Right. I was dealing with even a whole new set of challenges. A whole, whole new set of challenges. Yeah. Individuals with uh, even more mental health issues than I had. Right. And, and you've just accomplished, you know, all of this, like everything behind you has led to this moment. Uh, if you don't know, like being a green beret is like one of the, you know, hardest achievements, uh, in the military, like special forces, special operations are all up there. Um, but achieving that is, is difficult and it takes, uh, unique people, uh, to do it. So, and you get there and then you get put on a team, but Hey man, like, you went to you went to selection because you were a big fish in a in a yeah. in a pond, right? And then you get to your team after the Q course, and now you're the smallest fish. Oh yeah, and all the big fish are just beating you up like all the time, mentally, physically, hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah. You walk in and there's no uh, handover or onboarding process. You show up, and it's like, well, you're you're part of first battalion, go over there and check in. You don't have access badge yet. You don't know where the fuck you're going. You stumble into another guy who says he's on, he's like, yeah, follow me. You're in this company. And 
Then you were getting shuffled from my team to team. Like it, it was so much bullshit and just a, everything you were hoping it would be. It was not, it was the absolute opposite. And it would take months before things would get better. It would take months before you like finally realize like, okay, like this is, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. And you're not looking at the big picture of it because it's brand new to you. So you don't know what yeah. the big picture, you don't know like, Hey, like this is something that everyone before me has went yeah. through. You can't see, you know, two years in the future and be like, oh, okay, like I'm, yeah. on a, I'm on a team in the future and like, you know, yeah. I'm doing fine. No, I, I got, I got there as my company was about to deploy and the team I was originally slotted for was also going, I'm like, fuck yeah, made it by the skin of my teeth. And unbeknownst to me, I'll never forget this old piece of shit. I'm not going to say his name. This broke dick dude <laughs> didn't want to miss out on deployment. So um, he literally just switched names, literally switched names, talked to teams aren't on the team. He gave him a thumbs up. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll, have, I'll be off my braces and crutch uh, before we leave in a matter of weeks. And then, then I find myself as the only dude on a B team, a non-existent B team. Like nobody, there's a, there's a company commander and they're not taking the command team. So it's a, the B team's not deploying on this. Uh, ACO is attached to another outgoing company and I'm just sitting there like, okay, I, I did all this for deploying and I'm not fucking deploying. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So for two weeks, I'm just sitting there with another dude that's out processing, listen to him bitch and moan and gripe about SF. I'm like, you're right. This is a fucking piece of shit. Fuck this thing. And just being negative and going home. And of course, what are you doing? You're being negative at home. You're just fucking ins- insanely angry and miserable because this dream isn't panning out. But uh, slowly and surely, things develop. Things get better. Again, you get a new SART major. You, you meet. Uh, the rest of the B team starts filling in together with other guys. And uh, it gets better. It's still not your ideal situation, but Hey, fuck it. Like I'm going to make the best of this situation. Um, end up going down to Honduras. And by that time, pretty sure, um, like there's barely a pulse on my marriage. Like we don't even talk throughout the deployment. Um, wow. like, yeah, it, it's like, I think it was like a short few text messages. I'm just oblivious, like yeah. oblivious of the situation. But and this is like, uh, I think most people don't understand why you're going through. You can only gain clarity when you look back. Like who the fuck wants to be in that marriage? Who wants to be in that environment? And there's a lot of blame, a lot of anger while you're going through it. Cause inevitably I come back from that trip, marriage implodes and it's real quick to just put blame. You have to realize like you gave that other person, no other course of action, no other, no other alternative. Like, they want to have a life too. They're not just a fucking yeah. a tag along. Yeah. And that's what I had like just a, like just determined that she was. Oh, she just, you know, fuck it. She's my wife. Like, whatever I gotta do, she's gonna do. Nobody wants to be a supporting character in your fucking life, dude. Right. And that's and it's super common for, for men to to feel that way yeah. about their spouses, um, especially, you know, special operations or yeah. Dudes that just have a high operations tempo and they're gone all the time. And it's yeah. like, man. Yeah. And it's, it's really quick to, um, or it's really easy 
to put the blame. And there's blame on both sides. Trust me. Um, not not taking the full blame on on this the destruction of the marriage. But one thing that you have to understand when you're looking back at your divorce, like you gotta be able to own up to the things that you did. Not everything, but at least understand the things you did wrong. And that's what I'm grateful for. Uh, for being able to get that clarity like within a few years afterwards and being able to see like, okay, like it's really easy to sit there and blame the other partner, blame the other person, but challenge yourself to look at the other person, look at life, what life was for them. I married somebody that was a go-getter that was in love with traveling. That was passionate about finding her purpose and why. And here I am not acknowledging that, not giving her space to grow, not giving her the ability to do that. And ultimately, like, what would you do? I'd fucking leave. Yeah. And that's what happened. I remember the whole thing sucked. I was very emotional. It's like, there's a lot of um, sabotaging that went into that. Like, inevitably, like, you're, you're doing everything to make it happen. But at the same time, you're like, oh, no. Just making it really painful. Yeah. And drawing it out. And, uh, and uh, finally... Yeah divorce is, is done and they always say as an SF like you're not a real green brand until you have your first divorce and your first Harley and that's a reality for that time period because all of a sudden I remember my team started looking at me he's like alright look um, the best thing I can do is just send you to every school possible okay alright that's, that's just yeah. go that's cry it. outside like, that'll, that'll help like, yeah. go cry outside yeah. you don't have time to share emotions amongst the people that you're willing to die for. Right. It's like within my, my divorce wasn't even fucking finalized. And I found myself just fucking going to schools. Yeah. Like, cause they want you to feel success again. They want you to see success again. And I get it. I understand the compassion in that. And it was a, the next three years are just fucking gone. Every fucking school, every fucking train up, every fucking yeah. mission I could get on to go downtown. And it's just nonstop. Like somebody fails the school, send cab, he'll go. He can pass it. Go. Send, send that. Yep. Send him. Go. I remember like just sitting back and being like, holy fucking shit. Like all it took was me going through a fucking divorce. And like I got everything I wanted as far as a career. Free fall, check. Halo JM, check. Fucking sniper school, check. Every all the things that I was looking to get, like yeah. things that people would die for. Yeah, all of that didn't come into fruition until my divorce, and I was like, "Fuck, like that." What's what's the cost? What was the cost? Heartbreak. I mean, that's a fucking yeah. cost. Not addressing yeah. any of your mental health issues. That's yeah. the cost. I mean, some people would call that a glow up. <laughs> <laughs> You got so much more bling for your your uniform, all the fancy school badges. A lot of depression and a lot of late night walks to the gas station for cigarettes. I mean, you know, it's weird because it's like you have this again. Yeah. You're you're showing like these great accomplishments in the shadow of this like, hey, look, this like I'm not satisfied. Like I I lost something like whatever. Yeah. Um, and And it just seems to be the trend and you're not alone. Yeah. But it, I mean, it works because the focus isn't so long, so much on the relationship that I lost anymore. Like that's that's like way behind me now. Like yeah. all I'm thinking about is more maladaptive coping 
behavior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, it's, you should never, things that I wish I could um, address to the audience. If you're a young man out there, hell, he stays a young woman too. And you're running away from things. Never run into alcohol and risky behaviors with adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't pan out. It doesn't. No. And all it was, all it was, and, and that's the, the culture too, because my roommate um, and I would just go ride our bikes, uh, go get drunk reckless and, and reckless and don't care what happens yeah, to you or like, anyone else. Like literally like it was, it was sad looking back. It was sad at the, what I was willing to do to just forget and numb things out. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's dating should be something that you do when you're looking to meet someone, not when you're trying to escape the world. And like here in this area in Northwest Florida, like it, it was, Alcohol and women are very abundant, and yeah. and it's distracting. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. Yeah, because so like our our biggest thing, our biggest tool in our toolbox to survive when we're untrained is yeah. is avoidance. He, hey, yeah, I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I can't afford yeah. to acknowledge this. I'm just gonna put it in a box, and I'm just gonna put it somewhere else yeah. so I can complete the task at hand. And you think that that's behind you, like you said, like, oh, my marriage is behind me. It's not. Yeah. No, it's not behind you at all. It's it's inside you and it's growing. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I and mean, that's dangerous. And it, and it is another reason why veterans have these mental health issues. Is God, yeah. Because, and, it, and me personally, like, I hadn't even been able to feel um, any feelings about, any of the firefights or interactions and stuff that, that we had when we were both down range mm-hmm. until I th- the last week, like they did some voodoo shit on me and made me follow their hand. And oh go shit. Through. Yeah. That wasn't like the, what do you call it? Like the MBR. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't that. It was something different. Um, but essentially like, I mean, you're not being hypnotized, but like, it puts you in like that focus, like, Hey, really focus on the trauma. Like, yes. Yeah. Which I didn't even up until that point, like didn't realize because it was all in compartments still. Yeah. Like it was all, it comes up in dreams. It comes up in whatever, like it's subliminal, yeah. but it's those boxes like that are, that I thought were sealed up and put away. No, oh, no, my friend. No, they're, no. they're still there. And I didn't even, I told, you know, my therapist, I was like, Hey, like I, She's like, well, think about a traumatizing memory from your deployment. I'm like, hey, this is the thing. Like, they're still in a box. Like, yeah. I can think about those things, and they're still just compartmentalized away. Like, and I know because I see what's around me that that's not normal. Yeah. And I need to process this because it hasn't been processed. It's still in a box, and it's in a deep, dark place. Yeah. And that's what we did. And oh my god. Like yeah. that was the hardest thing I've ever did. Like all those yeah. emotions and stress and like, Hey, like, why wasn't, why wasn't I freaking out about this? Like, why wasn't I, you know, why wasn't I concerned? Why wasn't I angry? What, like whatever, like I had to dig all that out. So, yeah. um, huge, huge problem, um, in the military is, is you know, avoidance because yeah. that's what we're taught. Like, I mean, it's a survival tactic and it is necessary. Like if I, if I had experienced and, and had all those emotions and if you, and like your combat situations, if you had, freaked out and yeah. you know lost your cool and like your 
leadership and froze because they just they were actually processing like the severity of it or what how they should like a normal human being feels people die yeah so and that's um we'll, we'll you know carry that um to our next point um so actually we'll, we'll step back here what what made you decide to separate so the final um the final nail in the coffin for my career was coming back from this last deployment where uh, we were at together in Afghanistan. Um, once you become a leader, you know, for me, I was a warrant officer on the team and you just feel that re- the responsibility of keeping everybody alive is squarely on your shoulders as the leadership. And I was dealing with a lot of pain from you know, my injuries on my feet and consistently when you're in pain that bad, all you can think about is getting it to stop. Um, and I, as much as I tried, I could not maintain uh, that level of performance, athletic performance that it takes to be a green beret. And the only thing I could think of was like, okay, I used toward all to stay in the fight in Afghanistan. Maybe I can just find something like that. That's not going to kill me. That's not going to damage my endocrine system. And that was like my big thing was trying to find something for the pain and find something to combat the, uh, the slow downward spiral of physical health. But what was also happening at the same time is my, um, I was dealing with a lot of cognitive decline that was trying to hide. So brain fog, uh, memory and just my function on a daily basis was getting really bad. I couldn't remember where I would put things down. I couldn't remember where uh, I would literally drive home and not realize where I was and lose track of time and place. And just, what the fuck? I just drove into Niceville. What am I doing? I haven't yeah. lived in Niceville. Don't, you don't even know where you're at. Yeah. You're still yeah. yeah. And um, those things started piling up and started just weighing heavy on me. and that's when my depression and my anxiety just were through the roof. As soon as I walked into work, I felt like at any moment someone was going to find out that I couldn't do this job anymore. And just that impending feeling like somebody was going to come up and just beat the shit out of me. As, as illogical as that sounds like, that's the fear that I had. At any moment, someone was going to come into that team room and be like, hey, chief, go downstairs and put your ruck on, put your plates on. It's like as if someone's gonna like challenge you for yeah. you know yeah. the crown exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, if I beat, if I best you in combat, <laughs> your team is mine. <laughs> and uh, I just remember that fear and depression, and the only place I felt safe was coming home to my now wife. You know, I had learned a lot of things from my first marriage, and I, luckily, those were all things not to do. So I would come home. And she was my saving grace. I, I felt truly safe at home in my harbor of peace and my refuge was with my wife. But the moment I left home, it was a slow, like just increasing the dial of anxiety and pain um, all the way till I arrived at work. I mean, I'd wake up some days and just could not walk, could just not walk and would need every ounce of my strength to walk with a normal stride because people can't tell, they can't see the damage inside of my feet. Right. 
like there's no missing bones. I have my legs, I have both of my legs and people are just going to be like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Keep fucking walking. And we don't have the most sympathetic uh, no, community. So. Not at all. Yeah. No. I remember forcing myself to do runs around here in the neighborhood, trying to like will myself to like just somehow dissolve the pain and all that. They was make things worse. And so what the fuck am I doing? And then it got to the point where my wife was going to deploy. And the only thing that was keeping me from coming down here to my, my safe and taking my life was the fact that I was coming home to my wife, to my dogs. And I would like have, Little bits of, of, little bits of, <laughs> of freedom from the pain. And I, I made that. And meanwhile, meanwhile, you have to understand that I'm also trying to help others that are on the, on the edge, on the verge of committing suicide. You know, I'm still getting phone calls at 3, 4 a.m. of people and I'm talking them down. And I'm like, I'm going to a, a, a suicide prevention class in seventh group learning how to talk to people about it and making sure you're, you're a, a peer that people can come to. And I realized like, I'm full of shit. I am absolutely full of shit. I'm telling people to save their lives that don't, don't do this. And I'm contemplating the same fucking thing. Right. And I was only telling my therapist and the people at the, my mental health clinic here have truths. I was giving them enough to show that I was like making some progress. But in reality, I'm fucking dying. You and, literally feel like you're dying. Yeah. Like you, oh man. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you, she knew my, my therapist knew. And the thing is, I'm waiting for someone to ring the bell for me. I'm waiting in my mind, in my head to this day. I'm still waiting for another green beret to see the pain, to see the little the dark humor jokes that I'm interjecting yeah. and everything. And nobody's and doing they won't. that. Nobody's going to do that. That's the thing. Like I was waiting for somebody to have that compassion and love and, and and be their chief. You're not doing this anymore. Let's get you help. That was not going to happen. I was sitting in a room full of people, 12 fucking dudes that we were willing to save each other under the worst fucking conditions in the worst fucking combat you can imagine. But even they, can't fucking pick you up and say, we're going to save your life, chief. It takes you. It, it had to be me. And I remember walking in to my therapist and saying, I'm going to kill myself if you don't get me in somewhere right now. And she's like, I'm getting you in the Laurel Ridge. The magic words. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we're getting you to Laurel Ridge. Don't worry about this. Take this to your commander. Um, we talked for a few hours. She's like, look, this is the place. Mission resiliency is the place for you to heal. This is the place you need to go. Trust me. I trusted her. And I told my command, which is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, but it's fucking worth it. So if you're struggling and you're in the military, trust me, walk in there and you tell them. And if they have even the smallest amount of brain, they're going to understand. Um, if your leadership, it's infinitely harder. I understand it. I remember going to my company commander and my chief warrant officer at the company level and telling them both, like, I, I am going to do something stupid if I don't go help and I need you to support me. Um, and as a testament to how fucking stupid most SAR majors are, the SAR major in my company looked at me and said, well, I mean, um, I'll make sure it's not going to destroy your career. I'm like, well, um, wow. <laughs> I have to make sure I don't fucking die. Right. Like, um, so shout out to that dumbass. Um, if anybody ever... <laughs> 
And then, you know, he probably needs help too. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, um, man. yeah. Um, best decision I could have made, um, several months in the program and I'm a year since being at Laurel Ridge and absolutely saved my life. The program itself, the providers there, but the people there, um, other Green Berets, other Rangers, other Marsoc guys, all there, able to support each other and get you back into what ultimately is going to be the best mindset of your life. And you walk out of that place with a clear understanding that you can never go back in to the system. Like the military is not a place for somebody that's going through what you're going through. If it's as bad as what I was going through at the levels of what I was fighting, you have to walk away. It's time. Yeah. So being someone who has experience with building that wall that, you know, you put up in front of yourself and having that experience of, Hey, like, I wish someone would just reach out and grab me and tell me, Hey, you're done. Um, how do you use that to, how do you use that experience to reach people like your former self? So the biggest thing that I've learned in this whole process is consistent outreach. Um, it's almost like having a sixth sense for it. You're probably not going to get that text message of, Hey, are you doing? Let's talk. Probably not going to get that reply the first time. Because that person, just like I was, doesn't want to reach out for help. But I'm the person that's going to continue. Send you the positive morning reminder. Hey, you matter. Here's a quote. Here's this. Read this. Staying engaged. Because little by little, like that's what I needed. I didn't have. It was finally that therapist that kept chipping away at that wall that finally spoke through to me. And I've seen that work for our guys in this community. I just want to tell you I love you. I'm here for you if you need me. The first thing that that guy or, or girl that's going through it is going to say, shut the fuck up, dude. I don't need this shit. And the next morning, they're going to wake up to, hey, brother, fucking miss you. Hit me up when you get a chance. And continuously be there. That shows that person that, okay, that dude's not going to fucking stop. He's going to, and the fact that I'm open about my struggles. Yeah. Like I want to being vulnerable. Being vulnerable is the greatest fucking tool that I ever got from Dr. Brene Brown. Shout out to that wonderful, wonderful woman and, and uh, her book, Dare to Lead. Um, your greatest tool as a leader is not your ability to make these fiery speeches and stand on a podium. Your, your greatest asset and greatest tool as a leader is being vulnerable. And that's always helped me. I just didn't know that's what I was fucking doing right. in the moment. And then, you know, the military is all about being stoic, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Which, I mean, they, they're not even like properly engaging, like true stoicism. Like they're <laughs> right. Like you walk in the team and be like, Hey, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I can tell you right now, if we gather our minds together and put a plan together, it's going to be better than what I can do for 75 minutes. So let's take 25 minutes and all of us fucking attack this problem. Right. Everybody in that team is going to say, you got it, chief. Fuck yeah. I'm bought in. If you sit there and be like, I'm the attachment commander, I'm going to make the decision. Like, which we've seen and we have <laughs> and it's a horrible outcome yeah. be vulnerable even if that person doesn't reply back be willing to say hey uh tim i know what you're going through is hard but i want to share something with you 
last year, I was willing to take my life. I already had a, the idea that I wasn't ready to fucking give up this job. And I didn't want to be seen as a failure. I didn't want to see the guys turn their back on me. So I was wanting to end my life. I'm not there anymore because I did X, Y, and Z. Everybody's path is different, but I guarantee you this, I will be here beside you to get you the help you need. Like that works. Yeah. That's truth. That's being vulnerable with somebody. Yeah. And it's also a good way to show like you're that person that's in a dark place. And all you've heard is that, it, you know, if you, if you say the magic words, you know, Hey, yeah. like if I don't get help, I'm going to kill myself. Um, you don't know what it's like on the other side of that. Yeah. So for you to be someone that is on the other side of that and that person is seen in black and white and you know, you're, you're showing like, Hey, I'm vulnerable. Just, Hey, you don't, you don't got to come all the way over here. Just like stick your head in and, yeah. and say hello. And they, you know, they stick their head through and they're like, Oh my God, like it's so, yeah. So vibrant. Yeah. So colorful. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a metaphor, but, uh, <coughs> but it, but it works. Yeah. And, you know, I've known you for a long time and, and I've seen that it works. And, yeah. um, and even me, like, I'm not shy about what I'm going through. Like, yeah. I have a very unique job in the military, um, that obviously everyone I work with, um, can relate to. Right. So, yeah. you know, me going through this it's like i don't i didn't know anyone that that it admitted they had mental health health issues until i was walking around saying like hey like this is what's going on with me like i'm struggling i'm seeing i'm getting help um you know and turning people on to that because and talking to them about it and since then like i've had several people come up to me say hey like i wouldn't have you know said this or that to you know our therapist if if you hadn't you know, done X, Y, and Z. So I vulnerability works. And I think that is, um, I think that's a a solid weapon that you have in, in, you know, reaching veterans. Yeah. There's not the, the face that you get when somebody's talking about mental health or mindfulness or meditation in the, with the military, uh, demographic in mind is sadly, very skewed image. If I'm trying to talk to somebody about mindfulness and meditation and mental health and getting your life back, I need to be authentic. I need to give you a full view of who I am. The in your face, 22 pushups, highly motivated fitness guru doesn't speak to me. And I would say it doesn't speak to a lot of guys that are at the very edge of the fight with mental health. Mental fitness is important, but I don't need you doing 22 push-ups on your Facebook Live. That's not helping me. I need someone that's in the fight. I need somebody that's in the fucking trenches with me telling me like, hey, I was just right here. This is my 15th time back here. Yeah. Let's get you back to the friendly lines. <laughs> you don't have to do this shit alone. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, so with that, like obviously you you have a target audience yeah. and and I would consider like that target audience is people like your former self, myself, you know, your your co-host Eric, um you know, all the people that most of the people that you've had on the show. Yeah. Um and their family members and friends mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, people people that are struggling. Like, yeah. At first um you know, I, I was very it was very targeted to a specific set of people team room sf soft individuals that 
are not really geared to be open and be vulnerable. But what I realized is there's a lot more people that are struggling that need the same type of help and the same type of talk in their daily life. Like, yes, this is my experience. This is my authentic life. This is what I, I know. But at the same time, I also know my own path through recovery and that can expect that can speak to so many different people. I wanted to speak to the kid that had a shitty childhood and then had trauma because he's a cop now or EMT. I want to speak to the people that are suffering from all sorts of trauma because at the end of the day, trauma is trauma. PTSD is not regulated to people in the military. It's not arguably some of the worst cases that I've, I've, I've been able to see through talking to people are, are people that never served in their life. They're just dealing with civilian trauma. Like it comp- it, it does compound. Like what I went through as a child, what I lived through definitely affected my trauma in the military. But I feel that this show and what we're doing can definitely transcend the military audience. Um, I just want to be able to give all the information, all the tools that I've gotten and feed that out to people that need it because the last thing i wanted to do was search for resources and if i could have turned tuned into a podcast that spoke directly about this i would have definitely gotten help a lot sooner right and you know part of the reason looking from the outside in of why it's so impactful for you to do something like this is because you know you got yourself you know born in panama like came to the united states but this is a this is a story yeah right like it is, and you probably like have some sort of idea of, you know, that that's a big deal. Uh, you but, know, I used to not, I used to, yeah. I, that's why I said, like, I used to think that my story and what I went through was like a normal thing. No, like, it's not. I, it's <laughs> not at all. Every therapist, every doctor I've talked to has been writing in their, in their pad and then looked at me and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Okay. Like, hey, it's normal. Like, what? Right? No, no, it's not no. actually at all. <laughs> so, so you're, I mean, you know, the military has a status, like even your job in the world, like globally, like a green beret, you know, they're up here, like they're, yeah. they're up on like this shrine. It's like uh, a green beret, a stoic, impenetrable force, like badass, right? Yeah. And people that listen to this podcast, like they, they don't forget that. Right. And then what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, look, if I can be vulnerable, that inspires people. Like, yeah. They are going to be vulnerable. They're going to come out and, and even if they're just like, Hey, I'm just going to be a routine listener because I like to hear someone who has been through so much and accomplished so much that, you know, they, they look up to like, they're going to listen to that and, and feel okay about how they're feeling. Yeah. And then you have Eric who's got like the stolen Valor, Valor resume of being a, a Marine Corps <laughs> scout, sniper. scout sniper special person. And they listen to him and they're like, and you know, Eric's there's no one like Eric. No, there's, there's no not. one like Eric. No, Eric is the real life embodiment of both Patrick Swayze and uh, <laughs> Keanu Reeves from Point Break. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's just what I would call a creature. Yeah, he's he's, he's Bodie. Yeah, he's Bodie. Yeah, he's Bodie. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's so fucking cool. Yeah. It hurts. He, he's pretty cool. He's a he's a rude dude. He is a rude dude. Yeah, he is. 
but yeah, I mean, role models, man. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> it's impactful to to people. Role so. models and mentors. Yeah. Um, one of the things that when I when I um when I went to Laurel Ridge, I I didn't want to suffer at that level ever again. So I developed this drive and passion for seeking out knowledge. And I wanted to be a a participant in my own recovery and learn everything I could. And one of the biggest things that I wanted to figure out was why was this idea? What was this job? What was this like inspiration to become this fucking green beret? Like so important to me. What was being a warrior? So important to me. I just, man, I, I delve into everything from, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh to the <laughs> Warrior Woody <Ridge>. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To the Hero with a Thousand Faces to find out like, what did I miss? What, why was this the, the most, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the best, um, you know, parental figures, but, you know, I didn't have any traditional like drives to be like a fucking fireman or a police officer or a baker, nothing like that. It was always just like, I just knew for some reason in my head, like I had to figure out a way to be a warrior and like, how do I, where does this come from? What? And I realized that if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have father figures, if you don't have somebody giving you those, that definitive guidance as a child, like you're going to develop into a person, into a man, sadly, that doesn't have that understanding of like what definitively makes you a man. And that's exactly. why a lot yeah. of us go in the military. And I realized, fuck, this can be something that all of us tap into to help heal that wound. Like going back and understanding, once you leave the military, a lot of guys feel they don't have a purpose anymore. You do. You're a mentor now. You're, you're a guide. You're there to be a role model for others. Like, be the best version of you develop who you are find that passion and purpose you know maybe you have to do something else for a profession but you still can develop somebody be a mentor be a guide be a role model for somebody that's truly that calling and help correct that find find that kid that was like you and help give them guidance or if you're a father boom there you go there's your own that's your own little version of you now be that mentor, be that guiding light, be that guy that gives them the tools they need. Like, so they can save, save their life. Yeah. Yeah. So they grow up and they understand like, and my father taught me about emotions. It's okay to feel sad, but I want to acknowledge it and let it go. My dad taught me about depression and anxiety. I don't feel like I'm depressed. I feel like I am really sad about this, but I'm going to sit on it for a little bit. And if it gets more than that, I know what to do now. Like, we didn't have that no. growing up. We didn't have that emotional. Didn't have it in the military either. We didn't. Yeah. Now, if you go get help, if you throw yourself and lean into healing yourself, you can be that mentor for your kids. Because yes, a father needs to be able to teach his kid how to play catch, how, how to properly freaking treat a woman, how to do all those things. But one of the most important things as a father that you could do is teach your kids emotional maturity teach them that it's okay to cry teach them that it's okay to have that feeling of wanting to stand up for yourself and then teach them all the different emotions the most powerful thing i ever got from laurel ridge besides that knowledge and seeking out that information was the feelings wheel 
I kept that feeling wheel for like months afterwards because I realized I would watch The Office on rerun just so I could be happy, just so I could laugh. And that's and I would only watch things that I already saw. So that I didn't have familiar. It's familiar. There's no anxiety what's coming next. That's how bad I was in fight or flight. Watching something as like up and down and cliffhanger episodes. Fuck that. Yeah. It fucks me up. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. You're you you are so oblivious to your own emotions that you don't understand why that bothers you. So you just you are relegated yourself to just watch something on rerun. Like that's that's understanding that is powerful. And that's one of the things that I want to be able to speak to people about and be able to put that information out there. I have no drive to be a, uh, a doctor, no drive to like devote myself to like, I just want to be there to help you along your process and tell you that it's okay to get help. Here are some resources and guide you and encourage you. Be, be your mom in your cheerleading section. Like <laughs> Dude, you're, you're in the market of wisdom. Yeah, that is, that's it. Cause yeah. you know, you can go to school and you can learn a whole ton of shit, but that might not make you any wiser. No. But I mean, with your experience and the things that you've been through, seeing, um, you know, and things that you've talked about with others, like that, that gives you wisdom. Like what you're talking yeah. about right now is, is being a father or a mentor to pass on wisdom yeah. at an early age. And that's to someone that needs it. Exactly. Yeah, man. And it's, it's inspiring and it's what, it's what we need. Like it it is, it is the missing piece to the military puzzle. Yeah. Because everyone teaches us how to be lethal, right? Be combat effective. But no one teaches you how to deal with that. Nope. And maybe they try through, you know, having someone come visit your unit and talk about suicide awareness. And, oh, hey there, gang. Yeah. It's me, old uh, Timothy McCleary. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, I walked in on my, my wife and uh, she was with three guys. <laughs> you know, when I said that day, I said, no more misbehaving. I'm not, <laughs> not going to let this happen. I could have taken my life, but I was out of bullets. You know what I learned? We need more bullets. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Or they bring the providers. Hey, how's it going? It's uh, Timothy McCleary again here to tell you I'm your new guidance counselor and uh, you shouldn't commit suicide. Come see me. <laughs> and then that's it. Yeah. They don't ever have somebody comes up like, hey, guys, how's it going? Um, no, oh, shit. That's fucking that's chief. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, bring it in. Everybody sit down. Um. I want to have an, a few moments of your time to let you know that just last year I tried killing myself. And if it wasn't for these programs that the military has, I probably wouldn't be here. And I want to talk to you about some signs and some actual things you can do to help your friends, help save each other, and have an honest, open discussion about mental health. So before we start, do we have any other questions? We'll, we'll organically start asking questions. Yeah. And you don't have to force them to go to these things. Like, never, never have I had the ability to sit down and talk to somebody that was going through the, through the process and was doing better and, and could tell me about medication. That could tell me about the, the impacts of my career. Nothing was going to happen. That you weren't going to be in trouble. That the medication works, but you also have to do the therapy because it's not just one thing. It's a, it, it's a system. It's, it's not just one thing. You don't just take a pill and get better. You have to do this and then add that and add that. And it becomes this robust system of care that you set up in your life. 
I, I just always thought like, oh, you go see a doctor, they're going to give you meds. I don't want to take meds. So peace, I'm out. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> yeah. And it is a ton of work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A ton of work, which is another reason why you need camaraderie and that like to feel alone when you're going through these things is is pretty difficult yep uh, to keep going it's even more difficult because um, you still feel like you're part of a minority you're you're still walking into that environment and you feel like you have this um this visible damage that nobody wants to be around that's not true you're you're doing Something so courageous, so honorable. You're willing to go get help. You're willing to talk about it. And you're willing to be, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable today. Everybody sees that I'm back. I've been gone for a few months. I'm getting some help. I'm on medication. And every Tuesday and Thursday from now on, I'm going to my therapist at noon. And everybody should stand up and fucking cheer. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you're <laughs> fucking doing it, man. Like, everybody should be going, cool. oh, man, oh, you're the greatest, dude. Like, that's a reality. That's what we should do. We should encourage people to get help. Because it's the hardest thing to do. It's so fucking hard. hard. But yeah. it gets easier. It gets... When I first started, I would walk in and have to take my clonidine because it was just like, it was too much. And I started meditating. And I started trying to be mindful, not just as an exercise, but throughout just my life. And then I, you know, you develop your own mantra. You develop your own way of like understanding that no matter what anybody views you as no matter what they say about you it doesn't matter the only voice that matters is the voice inside you like you need to be able to tell yourself i love you i'm proud of you you are taking your life in your hands and you're in control you're doing great things it literally takes that. And even if you have to fake it the first couple of days, you keep saying it, you keep saying it, you keep saying it. And then that positive affirmation is the only thing you hear. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit what fucking Staff Sergeant Mahulahan's saying about you? It doesn't fucking matter. He's miserable. He's going home to fucking a wife that hates him, kids that don't know him. And at the end of the day, he's jealous because he can't get help because he's not willing to be vulnerable. But you know who's going to help him? You are. Because you're a bigger person now. And you see the struggle. And that's a reality. That's yeah. a, that's the greatest it reality. thing. It's, it's not just for us. It, that's for everyone. Yeah. E- everyone needs that positive yeah. affirmation that the, they give to themselves yeah. every day. The most beautiful thing you're going to see if you're out there listening and you're getting help and you decide to get help three or four months from now, that person that was judging you, that person or, or that figure that you thought was looking down upon you is going to come to you. They're going to sit down. They're going to ask you for help. And the most powerful feeling in your entire life is when you look at them and you tell them, I'm glad you came in here. Let's talk. You don't have to do this alone. Like, that's powerful. That's a huge, like having yeah. that, when I first had that moment of like, you tell yourself when you're going through it, like, man, that piece of shit ever judges me again or says anything negative about me. Oh, fuck him. I'll never help him. And then that one person comes in your office and sits down and you see them. It's just another human being that's struggling. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. You got to recognize that. And it's when you look at, you know, the security hall website, like the first thing it says is, you know, we're here to help. Yeah. Like we're here to help. Yeah. You listen to the podcast. We're here to help. Yeah. Like that's the, you know, the drum is beaten. Yeah. And 
you know, and maybe your way of helping yourself listening, maybe uh, your way of tiptoeing in is, you know, like like what I did. It's like, oh, so you, so you you did this? Like, how was that? Yeah. You know, how how how'd that go? Oh, okay. This doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're taking this med? Yeah. Oh, well, what happened? Yeah. Uh, how's it how's it change you? Oh. That sounds kind of sounds kind of good. Maybe that maybe that's okay. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's okay to be on meds. You know, because people aren't. You know, it, it, the way the way the way you're saying it is like very direct. Like it's like, oh, like it comes to the sit down moment. But like a lot a lot of people do is they just kind of stick their toe in. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, it's so crazy. I remember when I um, I I was vulnerable with a friend that I look up to. I really admired. Um, and I told him like, hey man, um, so I. Went to a treatment center and I'm, I'm I'm on medication now. That's why I've been gone. I'm doing a lot better. And I was hoping this person would be like, so glad you got help, man. Like, it's good to have you back. It's good to be able to talk to you again. Instead, he was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You're on them crazy meds now. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, dude. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Just, you just feel like you like crawl crawl out of the sewer. Yeah, like, but covered you know, covered in women's hair. It's just, <laughs> just like a, a spaghetti monster. Uh, you do. You feel shameful, but then Eddie, is that you? <laughs> Take that deep breath, and you realize no. Oh. And you, you have to say it, even if you're fighting it, and you're still not fully recognized. You have to say it, and acknowledge it. This is good for me. This is the right path. It's okay. It's okay he doesn't understand. It's okay that he doesn't see the benefit of it. I'm going to be there. He needs help. Just to tell him that, hey, none of this is scary. Doctors are going to give you medication and you're going to be able to talk to them and tell them if it works. If it doesn't work, you're not going to take something and never be able to not come off of it. And, And one of the things you have to get over is like your body produces certain chemicals. If certain things are off, you're going to need the medication. Yeah. It's there to help and do it under the guidance of your doctor. Just I'm telling you, trust it. Um, it's over. I'm on two years now taking the same medications. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. It gave me my life. It's part of my like arsenal of mental health and it helps me. It can change your life. Yeah. And statistically, more people like my age and and younger are riddled yeah. with anxiety. Yeah. Um, so if you're just that person where you're like, oh man, like like you shouldn't you shouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling if yeah. you're anxious all the time or you're depressed and maybe you don't want to get on meds, but that doesn't mean you can't go get help. Yeah. So. Yeah. So where do you see? The organization security hall five years from now well What's your vision i'm excited we are now a full llc so that was a big move um five years from now i want to see us as a thriving organization that not only provides resources but we can develop our own uh package to support veterans um i would like to shift to a nonprofit model so that we can offer things like a direct line of care to places like the stella foundation um sgb cell ganglion shots um 
been extremely, extremely helpful for me. Uh, I like to promote things that I've used or people within the podcast have used. So everything that I put on the page, everything that I talk about is from a actual personal first, like, like I have actually done these things. And like I said, I want to be able to develop this into something that can provide you a direct route to that care, whatever it may be. Um, but the podcast is going to continue to develop, continue to grow and continue to be a powerful force for healing and for those that need it. Um, got a lot of big things. Uh, I've been pretty successful right now. Uh, grassroots movement of uh, pushing out uh, two inspirational books and a grounding token to individuals that uh, either have come on the show or have reached out to us. Um, so I know that aspect of it, I'm trying to reach out because there are certain books and certain authors. And I don't want to say them on, on, uh, on air to promote them unless I, I have a guaranteed support from individuals, but there are certain things yeah. that I have identified as being very influential and very helpful. One of them is mindfulness and the other one's understanding how your body reacts to your trauma. And those are two, two specific books that I send out to people. I'm going to have a lot of the reading list attached to the website here by the end of the week. But yeah, we just want to continue growing and developing resources for those in need. Sure. And you're working on a book of your own right now? I am. Yep. Uh, I'm giving myself uh, a full year. So I have a full year to write it. I started this February. So hopefully by next February, I'm done writing it. And then I can ship or it's not, not ship, but uh, start pitching it out to see if I can get somebody Publishers. to publish it. Yeah. Um, because the reality is what I went through, what my family went through was not normal. It was not the norm. It was very abnormal. And I want to be able to share that with people. Um, Because no matter what you endure, it doesn't define you. Don't give all that negativity power over you. Don't say that the only reason why you achieved anything was because you went through all that horrible shit. That's not the truth. The reason why you're so successful and the reason why you accomplished so much in life is because it's who you are. It's what you were meant to do. So if you, you're out there and you're struggling with the same type of personal history, know that the reason why you're a remarkable person is because of who you are, not because of the things you endured. Well, it truly sounds like Security Hall is out there to make the world a better place and to reach out and change as many lives as possible through as many methods as possible. Yes. So I really appreciate you letting me sit here and interrogate you for an hour and a half. Um, I love this. It's been fun being on the other side. <laughs> uh, oh, I love you. I love you too, man. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it when, when you're doing this. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, but it was fun. I, I had a good time. <laughs> I had a blast. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's real, raw, authentic. Authentic. Yeah. That's a thing. Conversation you know? yeah. and, and vulnerability, yes. which I think, you know, that's, that's how, you know, security all wants to you know be perceived like it's a safe place to yeah. be vulnerable actually fuck it i'm gonna go ahead and name out the two books that i think you should get right now if you're listening and you're struggling uh i really want you to lean in to reading i know a lot of us don't like to read and only i i only started reading when i started taking an active role in my own recovery but the body keeps the score yeah you got to pick up that book and then um pick up Introduction to Mindfulness by uh, John Cabot Sim. Um, I believe I'm saying both 
left, right? I have bad memories, so give me a chance. Just, uh, yeah, we're just going to, for the sake of time, we're going to say those are two books and I'll post them, the actual names yeah. on the website. <laughs> <laughs> and get into mindfulness and grounding. Those are two things that changed my life. And that's why when I send these books out to people, I also include a grounding coin uh, or token. Um, it does help it brings you back to the present and that's the most important thing baby stay plugged into the present this and now that's what's happening it's happening right now yeah <laughs> all right man that concludes the interview of security halt tenny Capiara, the founder uh please don't use uh those uh obvious security questions uh at the beginning of the interview against him uh <laughs> He's probably going to have to go and change a lot of his answers on pretty much every account that he's ever owned. I do apologize for that. Those are all real numbers. You are a, all real names. You are a fool. <laughs> I have fooled you. I own you. Fool. <laughs> Thank you.